everyone. Welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, the Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson. I'm joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang. Anthony, how's it going? Doing good, David. Newsy day. How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, also with us, once again this week, I think back-to-back weeks, uh, Tim Reynolds from the Associated Press, national NBA writer who has been covering all the uh, return-to-play stuff, which is... Almost officially official today. Um, we are recording this. You know, I don't know. It's, we kind of knew the vote was coming today and was likely to pass. Uh, 29 of the 30 NBA owners uh, voted to approve Adam Silver's plan, which will have 22 teams, nine from the East and uh, 13 from the West, I guess. Yeah. Um, Correct. Uh, in Orlando, in Walt, at Walt Disney World, the ESPN wide world of sports complex to close out the regular season with eight regular season games, um, and then play the postseason. Um, we are also going to talk about the George, the killing of George Floyd and the protests, which have ensued, which, um, obviously has crossed over a lot with, with the NBA world and it's some, you know, it, it crossed over with everything in life, but particularly the sports world and the NBA, has been some of the uh, you know most vocal, uh, or, or I'd say forward-facing uh, vocal advocates in this fight in like the celebrity realm. Um, but let's start with the basketball stuff. Uh, like we said, not any surprises. Now we're waiting on I guess the Players Association to um, either make a counteroffer or accept the proposal. Um, but it, but it seems like this is what we're gonna have, right? Yeah, Go ahead. I mean this is it. This yeah. is it. The, this this is where we're going to be, and there's not going to be a counter from the players. All this has been done in concert with them. Um, you know, they have to ratify, right. so that'll happen tomorrow, um, Friday, I should say, uh, depending on when you're listening, of course. Um, there's still, though. I mean, what's important is even though it's real fun for me to keep tweeting out the same thing. I always, I've tweeted out like five times looking like a season, how you in my annual tribute to Roger Mason and the tweet that will never, ever, ever die. Um, you know, it, it's not done. I mean, right. this is just the format. I think it's important for people to understand that this is just the format that the owners and, and soon the players will say, okay, this is it. The medical protocols are not done yet. Um, they are going to be astoundingly comprehensive, mm-hmm. I'm told. Um, and then there's the small matter of basically 15% of the season isn't going to get played, which means players are going to have to give back 15% or so of their salary. It doesn't quite work like exactly. It's not like 15 to 15. It's like 16. But right, there's, there's like the force majeure uh, clause in there, right? The force, the force majeure that. clause. But it's $650 million. Yeah. And, and guys, let me tell you, nobody's worried about that. Like it, it, that, that seems like so – it's such a minute detail right now to work out. Like nobody is really digging in on that yet. And I'm like, how can $650 million <laughs> be minute – and like you're hearing the equivalent on the phone of people just like shrugging their shoulders and saying, we got much bigger deals right now. Yeah. I, I, I think your point is a good one, Tim. You look at Adam Silver's statement that was released today. He says, he starts it out by saying it's a necessary step toward resuming the NBA season, but we still have a long, long way to go before games even begin two months. I mean, how much has changed in two months in this world? 
I mean, what's the war going to look like on July 31st? It's impossible to say. So it is a positive step. It's a big step getting the owners to agree and, and the players association to, to also agree in the next few days. Um, it, that's, it's, it's a big necessary step, but there's still a long way to go. And there's still a lot of stuff to kind of be figured out. I mean, we really, like you said, don't know the, the, the medical protocols that are going to be, uh, in place there in, in I'm not going to say in Orlando because it's not Orlando, not, but not near Orlando, Orlando. <laughs> near Orlando. But, um, you know, that, that's that's going to be a huge part of it. Testing, um, social social distancing uh, guidelines that players and coaches and staff and everybody in that bubble are going to have to follow. Um, there's so much that still needs to be decided. Um, don't want to don't want to rain on the parade. It's a, it's a it's a positive day. But, you know, I think we, we have to take a step back and kind of realize um, there's still a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, I, this is kind of the first step we've just been waiting on for so long. Like it. I'm sure behind the scenes, and Tim, you obviously have reported a lot of this stuff. Behind the scenes, there were always discussions of what um, the plan was potentially going to look like. But you know, just because they hadn't said anything, you know, they hadn't put like deadlines on anything externally. Um, it just kind of, you know, I think to a lot of people, it felt like, you know, what are they doing? Like, why are they dragging their feet on this? Obviously, I think just putting that date, you know, and having dates out there, what the June 30 will be the start of training camp, the July 7, they'll all report. Um, I think to the fans, that's important to the people who, who maybe aren't following things just as closely day to day. Um, you know, like my dad who calls me every week is like, Hey, what's up with sports? Um, <laughs> like, I think it's important to just have those dates out there and, um, you know, obviously there was always urgency behind the scenes, but it puts that urgency like on paper, basically like they've got to figure everything out now in the next, in the next month, pretty much. So that they know what the, uh, really in the next couple of weeks so that they know what it's going to look like when everyone gets, uh, to Lake Buena Vista. Beautiful Lake Buena Vista. I'd like to point out. Lo- not, not lovely this time of year, I would say. It's such a crazy thing is that everybody says Orlando and the mailing address is Kissimmee. And the dateline is Lake Buena Vista for the arena because it's actually in Lake Buena Vista, yeah. but the baseball stadium is in Kissimmee. It's awesome. And there's it's like awesome. one, there's like oh, Bay viewers, like there's like a million like little towns all stacked up on top of yes. each other that all are just part of Disney World. I'm just going to call it like like Southwest Lakeland. Southeast Lakeland. Northeast Lakeland, right? Do you think Orlando gets upset as, as Miami does when, when people refer to Miami as, you know, Fort Lauderdale or Boca Raton? Like, do you, do you think that's a thing up there? I can tell you it's a thing. It was a thing for for us for, like, ten my first 10 years down here when we would go to Hard Rock, Sun Life, Landshark, <laughs> Dolphin Stadium, New Dolphin Stadium, and... I mean, we, we didn't say Miami Gardens yeah. until like oh, yeah. six or seven years ago. It was my it, I, and I didn't know. I legitimately thought it was in Miami. Yeah, and right. so now it, it, people take their datelines very, very seriously. Yeah, really is do. it is it going to be like when uh, when they say that they're down in South Beach to play the Heat? People are they're in uh, Orlando now. It's Lake Buena Vista. The Lake Buena Vistans going to get upset about that. Yes, they are. And you know what else, by the way? In 2021, can we get when they finally play a game at the former Lockhart Stadium site when Inter Miami finally gets to play a home game and ESPN cuts to, you know, the scene, like that, that static shot outside the Cleveland. Yeah. And you point out, it's, can we all point out it's like 37 miles away from where they're actually playing? <laughs> it takes you an hour. <laughs> 
closer to West Palm Beach than Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Come for the NBA, stay for the traffic talk. Absolutely. <laughs> um. So I don't remember if this was specifically a you know we talked about so many different like options that were kind of floated out there last week. I don't remember if this was a specific one of them. But what do you guys just kind of think of this format with the eight regular season games, the amount of teams they're bringing? Um, it's kind of more than I think we had maybe thought when we were talking about it last week. I feel like twenty was kind of the number we we all kind of had mentioned. Um, you know, either because it was reported or just kind of the number we felt was right. Uh, I'm I'm. And I know Tim can explain this because you know he's right. He's, yeah, there are financial reasons for all this. But but I, I'm surprised Phoenix and Washington are in this group. Um, they really had no chance probably making the playoffs. Um, and to include, if you're going to go by the 35 person, you know, team travel party uh, number, to include 70 extra people in the bubble for two teams that have like a lower than one percent chance of making the playoffs, probably. I just I didn't get that. Um, I thought 20 was a good number, which Tim mentioned last week when we recorded the podcast. Um, I have no complaints with the format. I think it's fine. The playing tournament kind of gives it a twist and something fun, if it actually does happen. Um, I'm surprised they're playing eight regular season games. I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot of games to get in in two months. So I can't remember. Is that um, the number that – does that put them at – I don't remember exactly what the number is where, like, the local TV deal contracts, like, kick into the full well, value. Does that get them there? Okay. So – for the most part, yes. Okay. But let's can we explain this once and for all, please. On the on the team, it's been so out there that if you get to seventy games, every team gets like four hundred billion dollars, <laughs> and that's not it. Um, first of all, you got to get to seventy games on your regional sports right. network. I think the Lakers, if they play all eight games in beautiful Lake Buena Vista, um, they get to seventy one. Okay. Dallas, I think, gets to 75, which would be the most. But the Lakers have had a number of right, national ESPN games. games or whatever that wouldn't right. have been and, on. And ESPN exclusive games. Sometimes you're on both. Right, sometimes you're on both. Talk, TNT games, I guess, are the exclusive ESPN or whatever. It, it, it's, so not every team is going to get to that 70 number. Look, some teams are going to get some money out of it. Some teams aren't. If it's going to be pooled, I don't know. But it wasn't like the end-all, be-all. Okay. Um, of this, it, it just means that if you get if you play eight games, everyone now has played at least seventy, and I think for a lot of reasons that's it, it's a legitimate number statistically. It's a legitimate number in terms of records. To Anthony's point about the Washington and Phoenixes of the world, if you didn't have Washington, you'd go there with the eight East teams, and that means by like game three. I think of the East teams playing mm-hmm. whatever there is that, that they're going to play. Like we'd have been in uniform for the heat. Like they would have signed <laughs> us to 10 days because there's literally nothing to play for except seating. And, and you're not yeah. like, not like you're playing for home court. So right. it's, I think they got to go on the road to Lake Buena Vista in game seven. Yes. Who will wear the red jerseys? <laughs> Who will have the coveted red Jersey in game six? Um, there's, it does add something. You get more players there. You get more teams involved. You get more markets involved. All that is good. The more games is more revenue. That's, that's obviously a very big driving force in this. I mean, between just your local ad revenue or whatever else it's, it's, 
it's less money that players have to give up because it's more games being played. So there, there's a lot of factors to it. I just, my only, I'm with Anthony in that I don't dislike it. Like, I'm glad that they've gotten to this point. This is not the most important point. I mean, right. they need to get the medical stuff, obviously, is first, second, and third on the list. What I don't like, though, is the idea that Washington can finish four games behind Orlando, yeah. then beat Orlando twice, twice. Yeah. and take a spot. Like, I, I, I just don't like that. If you're going to play should... it, play it. Yeah, I, I, sorry, I didn't throw I didn't. You can continue your point, but I was going to say, I, I think there there should have been a sliding scale there. Like, if Washington finishes four games behind um, Orlando, they should have to beat Orlando four times. Four straight but, times. But what does that mean you'd have to... That means Milwaukee would have to sit around and wait. For, like, for, yeah. for like a week, at minimum. And, yeah. and that throws everything else off, too. I mean, time is not their friend. I mean, look, it's June 4th. They're not playing until July 31st, and that is truly the earliest that they believe they can play. There was like a thought of like July 24th by some teams, but they're just, there isn't, July 31st will even be hectic getting there. It doesn't seem it, but it will be. So you don't want this thing to go on until November. At some point, you got to start next season. You don't want teams to go there and have nothing to do for nine days. So I get how it's a best of two. Um, I just don't like the idea that you can make up four games with two wins. I don't. I don't like that. But again, we're nitpicking. I mean, the fact that they got to this point at all—it's—it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I would be. It's true. And, and, and sorry, I was going to say I am disappointed by one thing, and we talked about this last week. This was the year to reseed. Regardless of conference, this was it. It's never going to happen. Now. Yeah, it means it's, it's never going to happen. The fact they didn't even do it this year means like, I don't it's know. never happening. At least not anytime soon. No, I, I just with no travel, everyone on one site. It just, it was the perfect situation to try it, and it didn't happen. I get it. You know, Milwaukee would have had to go through both Los Angeles teams. It wasn't the perfect system this year. Some years are better than others for that. For that format, but I just would have liked to have seen it and what it would have looked like, how it would have played out. Um, and it's like I said, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Like everybody who talks about receding, I know that was a big storyline over the past year. It's just not going to happen if it's not going to ha- if they didn't do it now. Yeah, I'll be. I'd be interested to know the real feelings of some of the like specifically the Suns and the Wizards, who are kind of the teams I would say uh, don't really have a chance. Like, in, in a normal world, don't really have a chance. And obviously have a, a pretty big uphill climb, even when they get to Orlando, to make up, um, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have the standings right in front of me, but a handful of games in, in eight. Um, I'd be interested to know, like, the real kind of feelings, like, when they well, first heard these proposals. Know, we'll know some of it, I guess, tomorrow. We're going to know those feelings when some of these teams get eliminated two games into Exactly, the yeah. Six more meaningless games. Yeah. Like, I think Bradley um, Beal basically said, like, I don't want to go if I have nothing to play for. And, like, technically he has something to play for, but, like you said, yeah, four they days. They have eight games to make up a game and a half. Like, th- this is free money for yeah. the Wizards. I mean, this is great for the Wizards. I, I don't – like, the, the team that I find – the team that's going to be fascinating is, of course, the team that's coached by Greg Popovich. Yeah. Because – as we're talking right now, the Spurs are the only team in the league that have not reopened their facility. Um, 
they weren't going anywhere. They have this two-decade-plus streak of playoff appearances, and they have pop. So do the Spurs get revved up for this opportunity? I mean, basically, they'd have to go probably have to go seven and one and have a shot of getting the ninth. But weird, weird things are going to happen in, in Lake Buena, beautiful Lake Buena Vista. Sorry. We're just going to add beautiful to the dateline now permanently. Weird things are going to happen there. How weird would it be if the Spurs decide, well, we're going to be the team that shows up ready. And, and again, even though they haven't opened their facility, like there's time, there's, there's a long time right. to yeah, get yeah. guys up to speed. And when you have that guy coaching, you can find a way to do really wild things. So I'll be curious to see what, what I'll be curious to see pops motivation. I'll be curious to see the Spurs motivation. My, my interesting team to watch is Portland. Not, not only for the, not only for the, the obvious uh, reason of Nurkic and Zach Collins possibly being back and, that means a lot for that team. It's kind of like what they thought that team was going to look like. Um, they also have played more games than the other teams that are fighting for the eighth spot in in, in, the, in the Western Conference standings. Like, they have an advantage. Um, they could finish percentage points ahead of teams because of that advantage, um, even though they might be tied in the standings. Um, also, Hassan Whiteside, he could be relegated to the bench in the playoffs or in this regular, in this uh, seeding, in these eight seeding games with Nurkic back. Like, it's going to be interesting to see what that team looks like, what they're able to do. They have Dame, obviously, one of the best players in the NBA. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's a team to watch, uh, you know, in that fight for the eighth spot. It's a team that can – It's they are definitely a team that can get hot. And they're a team um, that tends to play well in the playoffs. Like, Dame is, like, a, one of the great modern playoff performers. I mean, you have to guard him from 40. Yeah. So, <laughs> in, in the playoffs. Um we have seen what Hassan does when he goes to the bench for no reason. <laughs> but yeah. this is contract year, Hassan. Don't forget that. This is contract year, Hassan. So, look, I, I, I think he's had a great year. I think he's done really well there. They're going to find minutes for him, whether it's in the first five minutes of a game or not, to me, has always been irrelevant. It just means something to Hassan to start for some reason. Um, but you're absolutely right. They are an X factor team, and you know if if you're the Lakers, right now you were you were looking at playing Memphis in round one. Now you are almost guaranteed of playing a team that is rolling. Like this is going to be the challenge right. for like the Lakers Clippers, yeah. yeah, and and to a certain extent the Bucks. You are going to sleepwalk through these first two weeks and just try to get nobody hurt, whereas the playoffs are starting, especially in the West. Like, some team's going to come out of that razor sharp. Yeah. LeBron and those guys, if, if they get a rolling Blazer team that has gone, you know, figure they get to the play-in, that's gone 8-2 and two in the 10 games at Disney before they get, before they get to game one against LeBron... How's LeBron going to get we, – we know LeBron can flip the switch because he never turns it off. How's he get the Lakers to flip the switch? And they're, Look, there are going to be – I know everybody's going to be like, it's going to be terrible, there's no fans, whatever. No, no, no. There's going to be fascinating subplots all over the place in this thing. 
Yeah, and just the unique setting. It's going to make it, it, it... I mean, the ratings are going to be through the roof. It's going to be a monster. Yeah. It could be like a fun AAU tournament. Like, that's what these guys, like, most of them grew up. Like, that is the purest form of basketball to a lot of them. Playing, like, you know, you, random... share, you can't share orange slices at this one. Like, that's the beauty of those soccer yeah. tournaments when you're a kid. Like, who brought orange slices? Uh-huh. Now it's... Now you can't have them. So. All right. It's a uh, new day. We we are twenty minutes into this episode, and I think we've mentioned the Heat like two times on this podcast. It is ostensibly a Miami Heat podcast. Now, like, granted, it's because it's kind of you know they're one of the least interesting teams in the way that they're affected by this. You know, they are going to be a middle, upper middle East team, um, and they're clinching a playoff spot. What what, what kind of repercussions do we think this is going to have? For the Heat, I mean, I guess the biggest question for them is it was is what the question was always going to be, and that's like, how are they going to look? Are they going to be in shape? Are they going to ramp up? And and that's kind of where you feel like the Heat might have an edge on other teams is that the famous training staff, if it's as good as everyone likes to act like it is, then uh, they should be in pretty good shape compared to some other teams when they show up there in a beautiful Lake Buena Vista. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tim and I were talking yesterday. Uh, I don't want to reveal our com- reveal our conversation, but. <laughs> We talked about, I mean, the Heat are going to have a tough, I mean, it could be tough for them. Their remaining schedule, if right. it's if, if the eight-game schedule is built like what's being reported, where it's kind of the shell of the original schedule, they're going to have a very difficult eight games. And um, Philadelphia and Indiana are, what, two games behind them? So, I mean, it's realistic if the Heat struggle, or even if they go four and four, three and five, like, they could fall to six. Yeah. And, yeah, there's no home court advantage in these playoffs because they're all playing one site. But do you want to face Boston in the first round? I think he want to avoid that. So I think if you're the Heat, you try to get in that – you stay in that 4-5 range. You face either Indiana or Philly in the first round. You kind of see what happens. Um, obviously, the best case is they move up to three. Um, but I think they're two and a half games behind Boston. So it's possible. But, um, again, with, with a tough schedule, it's not going to be easy. So – I think it's, you know, that, that middle of the East is kind of jumbled. Um, and, you know, the Heat have to kind of try to hold their spot. Uh, if not, it's going to be a tough first round for them. I'll, I'll give you 14 words on why I think the Heat will be more than ready for whatever the schedule is. Hardest working, best condition, <laughs> most professional, unselfish, toughest, meanest, nastiest team in the NBA. Like, if there was ever a time for that to ring true. Yeah, it's now. Time to prove it, right? They've proven it in the past, but it's time to prove it again. They've totally proven it in the past. And and I, again, I just, I I really, I, I think there's a lot of good, there's a lot, it seems like there's a lot in this format that favors the heat approach in that it's, you know, you know, they've been working. I mean, they were the team that, I mean, zoom workout seemed like they were seven years ago already. Um, the, the, it, it's, it seems like they've been very, very mm-hmm. ready to be ready. If that makes any sense. And now that Jimmy Butler's back in town, shout out Anthony for breaking that. Um, you know, the gang's all here. So 
I, I just think that they see an opportunity for the way they go about things. Look at Summer League as a great example. Every year we look at the Summer League roster that the Heat has, and you've never heard of any of these guys. And then you're like, okay, well, who cares? It's just Summer League. And then they find a way in really short order to make it a team. Spoh's going to have to do that again with this group. And, and, and I think it's going to be a really easy sell. Like, I, I don't I, – I think the tough schedule will help them. I, I really do. I, I think they are truly a team that embraces that iron sharpens iron, that sort of thinking. And, again, you get a motivated heat culture momentum ball rolling in beautiful Lake Buena Vista, watch out. Watch out. Right. To, to, to Tim's point, too, I I think it also helps the Heat that, I mean, obviously everyone got a chance to get healthy and get rest, but we forget, I mean, Jimmy was banged up when the season was suspended. I think he had missed that Charlotte game because of foot uh, foot issues, ankle issues. Yeah, he'd been in and out um, of the lineup a little bit. In and out of the lineup, he kind of, his shot was kind of a little off. He kind of looked tired and played a lot of minutes. This gave him, what, three months to rest, two, three months, and also you get... Tyler Hero, 100%, and you also have Myers coming back at 100%. We still haven't seen this roster with those guys and Andre and Jay Crowder. So, um, you know, this is going to be a healthy team. It's going to be a rested team. And I think, you know, it's going to help a lot of teams in that regard, but I think the Heat uh, especially, just because of all those, all those reasons. Don't forget, the Andre thing is huge. Yeah. The Andre thing is huge. This is why they got him for playoffs. There's three guys in this league who are going to be in this tournament with finals MVPs. Number six, number two, and Andre Iguodala. I know he's 23 now, but he's always going to be six here. So, I mean, LeBron, Kawhi, and Andre, that's it. Yeah. Only yeah. three guys that are playing right now with a finals MVP. That's crazy. Don't yeah. underestimate that. And by the way, remember this, too. What's it been? Nine years in a row that either the Heat or Andre Iguodala have been in the finals. <laughs> I mean, you, there's a streak here, guys. There's a streak to protect. <laughs> um, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. All right, any kind of last <laughs> thoughts on the uh, return to play? Anything we didn't kind of hit on that stands out to you as your look over what the uh, proposal is? I had a question actually. I, I don't. I don't know if Tim knows this, but I, I, I saw the Athletic was reporting that. Um, Training camp practices will begin June 30, and teams will be allowed to travel to Disney to continue their preparation on July 7. Does that mean? I mean, obviously we don't know what the Heat are going to do, but that doesn't—it's not like a rule for teams that have to that are going to have to get there on July 7, right? I mean, the Heat could technically get there a little later since they're so close, or is, is that going to be kind of for all NBA teams to kind of gather there July 7th and begin quarantining there? I, you know? I yeah, I, I do know, and this was moved up because. Um, couple of western conference teams told me yesterday um that they were thinking one said the 16th and one said the 17th is what they were anticipating going for and and, and it speaks to how how fast things can move i mean we talked at the top of the show about you know we were a week ago we weren't talking about 22 we were talking about 20 Mm -hmm. i mean elements of this plan i guess existed but for the most part, this plan wasn't really born until like a week ago, Tuesday. 
Like that's how fast it happened. They've been talking about stuff forever, but this one happened really fast. And then moving things up to July 7th happened really fast. I, I think the league wants teams to get there, to get settled, to figure out where the hiccups are, um, to figure out what's working and what doesn't. Um, so many things that we'd never think about, like how is it going to work for 22 equipment room staffs mm-hmm. to do laundry and all those things. There's just a lot of stuff to get through, and they felt that more time was probably necessary. Um, you know, the trade-off will be that teams are going to get a couple of preseason games or controlled scrimmages or whatever they're going to call them, you know, before the games really start. So they're not going into a regular season totally cold. They'll always have some experience of playing against other people. Um, but my understanding is that, yeah, um, everyone will be there on July 7th. What that means for media, Anthony, I don't know. I don't think we, I don't think you knew what he was going. getting at. <laughs> I knew what he was getting at. I don't think we're going until much, much later in the month. I really don't want to be there at minimum, I'd say the 17th, 18th. And mid-July. that's yeah. mid July at the early. I think it's going to be closer to the end, too. Uh, but we'll, a lot's changing on that front, too. But to, to, to David, to your question, I, I don't think there's a lot that we miss. I don't think there's a lot not to cover. It's other than what happens if somebody gets COVID. Right. What yeah. happens if somebody tests positive? Um, we'll find out more in the next few days. Um, you know, as we're taping this, the league has announced that Adam will be available to to us uh, next week. Um, with other league executives. So I'm assuming that's when a more comprehensive discussion will take place. Um, it, it's going to start happening fast. Whatever it is, it's going to start happening fast. But I, the, this was a big question, and now we're done with this. But mm-hmm. now the biggest question is all of the medical things and, right. and liability and all those. I mean, it's crazy, the stuff that they have to think about. Those are the questions worth asking, but right now we don't. there's just no answers. So another emergency pod perhaps awaits us when we, when we have those answers. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the big question. How are they going to pull it off? Right. I mean, we kind of know the structure now, but how are they going to pull it off? And I'm sure they have a plan. Like you said, I'm sure they've been talking. Um, this is the NBA. They're well prepared, but um, you know, not, not to downplay what just happened today because it is, it was a complicated decision, but that's kind of the easy part. That's how hard this other stuff is. Like, Coming up with the medical protocols and how to keep everyone healthy, that's the challenging, difficult part and the scary part, really. So, um, it's like Tim said, I think we'll know more details in the coming days. And, um, you know, it's going to be important. Uh, it's going to be an, it's going to be an important conversation, I think, unfolding. One thing quick, just on how quickly it's all going to, when it starts, how fast it's all going to move up there. If somebody sprains an ankle in a normal playoff series, I mean, guys will probably play through it anyway, but... Mm-hmm work with me in this hypothetical exercise, you know, an ankle that would take you four or five days before you're feeling good again. You know, the way that there are breaks built into a normal playoff schedule, you might miss a game. You might miss three now yeah. or, or worse. So any small injury will not be a small injury. If somebody has to miss a couple of days, they might miss two or three games. Games are going to start every other day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's going to be, like I, that's why I keep saying it over and over and over. Something weird is going to happen up there. I, I, if the Lakers or the Bucks win a title, God bless them, they earned it. If there was ever a year that 
a six seed or a five seed or something like that is going to win a title. It's going to be this year because you've got to be really good, really healthy, and really lucky. You don't need – luck isn't so much of a – the Raptors weren't lucky last year. The Heat weren't lucky in 12 and 13. The Spurs weren't lucky in 14. This year you got to have a little luck on your side to pull this off. All right, for sure. All right, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back to talk a little bit about the George Floyd protests. All right, we're back. Um, the biggest story in the world right now, really kind of the only story in the world right now, even though we spent the first, whatever, half hour of this talking about NBA stuff, the only story that matters right now in the world, which is crazy to say because there's, the, the pan- there's also a pandemic going on, uh, is the ongoing George Floyd protests after uh, Floyd was killed by uh, Minneapolis police uh, was that last week, I guess, or the video came surfaced last week. It kind of was all run together at this point, but um, it has obviously dominated the news. It has dominated cities all in all 50 states, major cities and smaller cities. Um, and of course, it has crossed over with the sports world and the NBA world. Um, Steven Jackson I would say it was kind of like one of the first like big, big advocates. They were childhood friends. They look very similar, as they point out. Um, he gave a very passionate speech about it last week. Um, obviously, uh, Udonis Haslam was out in the streets uh, over the weekend here in Miami. Um, yeah, pretty much every city you look at, there's there's some NBA players out at these protests. I think I saw Clay Thompson and Steph Curry were, were out in Oakland. Um, a bunch of, I think, Mavericks players in Dallas. I'm, I'm sure every city, every NBA team, you could, you could find a guy. Jalen Brown notably drove, what, like 18 hours from Boston to Atlanta to help lead those protests there. Um, it's impossible to talk about the NBA, I think, and not talk about this because we're, our job is to tell the stories of, of athletes, and this is intertwined with their stories um, you know, we like to think the NBA is more progressive than, you know, most sports leagues and, and probably most segments of the world um, because of the amount, you know, of black employees the league has. But obviously um, nothing is, is ever enough. And it this week, I think, has just been, you know, it, it does feel kind of like a tipping point um, because of the way that, you know, obviously the NBA players have always been some of the most outvoke, outspoken uh, you know, high-profile people on these issues. But the way I think that, um, you know, obviously, like, white coaches and white players have come out also, but then also the media for the first time. It, feel, it feels like for the first time, like, the larger NBA media is is kind of become a part of this in the way that, um, you know, I'm sure some of the, the black players would have always liked us to be advocating for them. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point. I think it's, you know... It's unfortunate we've had this. We've had to have this conversation um, numerous times over the past whatever five, ten years, and even goes further than that. But yeah. um, I think the difference this time, like you said, it, it just seems like it's reached a t- tipping point, and you just see the diverse voices behind the cause and the diverse uh, groups of people in the protests that are unfolding throughout the country. Um, it's powerful, you know, and. and you know, I, I'm not surprised the NBA like is, is has been so kind of a a big voice in, in you know this week with all this. Um, they're they're kind of known to be like you said a progressive league. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but locally, Udonis Haslam, you know, he, he's he's seen as a community leader. He's from here. He's spent his whole NBA career here. Um, but I, I, just, I, just, I just think, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, because you obviously know Udonis. You've covered him your whole career, uh, his whole career. Um, he just This summer, it just seems like he's taken even more of a step to kind of become more of a, a voice in, in Miami, in South Florida for different issues, whether it's, you know, through the pandemic and... Yeah, we just had this conversation about him two weeks ago or something, about yeah. his coronavirus uh, activism. Yeah, I don't know if it's because he sees that his career is going to end and he's kind of trying to find his voice in the community. I mean, he's always been an active participant, but this 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 break, you know, and there's been a lot of events that have lent to, to him kind of speaking up, but he's really taking it upon himself to, to really be heard, whether it's, you know, being on the Today Show or going on ESPN or, you know, the Players' Tribune article, like just everything. I mean, he has really kind of shined, I think, during these last three months. So you're not, I mean, none of us root for the team we cover. I mean, you just can't do that in in, in our jobs. You just can't. Um, happier for your friends who work for the team when the team's winning and all those wonderful things. But, like, you know, all of us have been close to teams in our in our careers and while we're certainly we can be happy for a lot of people when they win we you know it doesn't really change our lives if they win or lose i say that to say that i love udonis hassel i just i've always i always have and you know the outside world the people that don't that aren't as lucky as we are who have gotten to know him or you know maybe even the people broadly the people outside of miami they think of him as this rough and tumble saying things to Lance Stevenson during the playoffs that are still, you know, gif worthy, gif worthy, whatever he said, however it said. They think of him as a badass, like the super tough guy. Yeah. And Udonis Haslam has one of the biggest hearts you're ever going to find in a professional athlete. He is here's this guy, you know, he's, he's rough and he's all tatted up. Right. And, you know, he's one of the most intelligent athletes I've ever covered. Like he's just incredibly soft-spoken. He sees the world through a prism that very few people I think understand. And for whatever reason, I, I think when, when you play on a team with Dwayne Wade, you automatically find yourself taking a little bit of a backseat on causes. When you play on a team with LeBron James and Chris Bosh, you don't let your voice be the loudest. Um, in the way this team is constructed, Jimmy hasn't been here and hasn't been in town anyway. He hasn't been with the Heat very long. And he hasn't been in town throughout most of this pandemic. The rest of the team being real young or new to Miami for the most part, like, I think he feels ownership of this thing for really the first time. He's always had ownership in the room, but this isn't Dwayne city anymore. This isn't LeBron city. I mean, it always is. You know what I mean? They're not here. Somebody had to step up and be the face out there for this franchise. And UD's always been ready for this role. It's just now he's grabbed it. Um, You know, you know, while Dwayne and LeBron and, and rightly so got a lot of the credit 
for the reaction that Heat players had to Trayvon mm-hmm. um, six years ago. Is that even possible? Sounds right. You know, Udonis was absolutely a big part of of what they all decided collectively to do. And look, he's he's a father. You know, his first priority is taking care of his wife and his children. He's a businessman. You know, and he these are political times. And as a businessman, you don't want to say too much. It's going to somebody or not. And you have to think about those things. Udonis is just out there now. And the he's, I, those four minutes that he spoke or whatever it was Sunday outside the arena, like those, those, those are the best four minutes of his career. Never mind that they beat Dallas in game six in 2006 because of him. I mean, I know we talk about, you know, how great Dwayne was in that series and, and Zoe's unbelievable block and the reaction afterward. Udonis Haslam held Dirk Nowitzki in check with Walt. All the great things he's done on the floor, to me, those four minutes, when, when, they, when, when they raise his banner, when they raise to the rafters at the AAA, play some highlights, sure. Play those four minutes. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. Like it's, he has been, he has finally shown the world what we've all known for a long. He really is. He is a leader, and we need leaders right now. And he chose to say, "Okay, South Florida, I'm going to lead you." And by the way, all the teams down here, you give them credit because they're all doing their own thing. But the sports world response to what's happening. In the last ten days, down here it's been led easily without any competition by Udonis Hassel. Yes, yeah. and he's on. Brian Flores too. Brian Flores too. I, I think you named Absolutely. His statement was poetry. Yeah, I, th- I think honestly it, most it, of our teams, all the writers, and it, it's listen. Uh, look at the coaches we have in this city: Flo, Spo. Don Mattingly, Joel Quenneville. And if you want to go deeper, you know, guys like Manny Diaz and Jim Larry. Yeah, I was going to say, I would think that I feel like the Miami Hurricanes have done it. Like a lot of our teams down here have done a, a very good Jay job. Meyer. Jay Meyer is as good a human being as as you can find walking this planet. Um, we have amazing coaches in the city. We really, really do. We just, we just do. It's, but UD to me has just, UD has been great. And, one more. Th- I know I'm just going off now, but we we all spent, we spent the first half hour of this pod talking about the schedule, and that's all I've written about it seems like for the last two weeks mm-hmm. is the schedule, the schedule, and the format, and all the tweets and everything else. Do you know who hasn't said anything really about the NBA returning to play about the format? The NBA players. Yeah, yeah, and correctly. They are focused on something else, right? And when they say something's bigger than, they mean this. Mean these, and to report it because it's the news, and the Herald is all over this story. The AP is all over this story. They're they don't, you know. We understand what you know. We have just a little segment of the news hole today. With this NBA news, we get that. There's a lot of coverage devoted to what's really happening in our country. But to me, it's just fantastic, whether it's organized or organic, that the NBA players have said, you know what, we're not going to sit here and talk about who's playing who in Lake Buena Vista right now. 
we've got something bigger that we've got to devote all of our energy, all of our fight to, and good on them for doing it. Yeah, one of the things I actually love, you mentioned organic or organized, obviously, like that that part of it doesn't really ultimately matter, but I do kind of love it, especially the first weekend of protests when um, I I know there were like photos, I think, of of some Mavericks players with maybe Mark Cuban out in Dallas and, um, you know, just, just guys marching. Like there were, it was... So much of it felt so organic. It wasn't like, um, you know, in every city, in some cities, you know, like I mentioned, Jalen Brown in Atlanta and obviously UD in Miami, they, they were kind of like out, out at the front. They were the guys speaking, um, you know, because they have, you know, Udonis obviously has, you know, a lot of police ties in his family and, you know, he has very good perspective on this. But a lot of NBA guys were just kind of, seemed like we we're just out there marching, just part of this this crowd that, um, you know, obviously the, everyone has their perspective and especially, you know, the majority black NBA has its perspective, but, um, you know, they're just part of, it's, it's a movement that, that goes beyond just the, the celebrity leaders of it, the, the, even beyond the, the, you know, the political organizers, you know, it, it feels like there hasn't been that much coming even from Congress. And you know, I know there's, I guess, proposals of, they're going to put a, um, police reform bill out Monday, but the whole thing has been fueled by just the size of the crowd. It hasn't been about, you know, even when, you know, like the Ferguson protests, when some of the, the early Black Lives Matter, um, you know, organizers kind of rose to prominence. You know, the, it was about the crowd, but ultimately there were kind of like a few spokesperson, spokespeople for the movement. This one has just felt totally um, organic in the way that it's just everyone is kind of on the same page. Um and everyone is just it, it's about the it's about the crowd rather than the people leading the crowd. And, and, and just the rel- just the relentlessness of it too. Like I think we're on day nine now or day ten even. Um, this would be a protest. Like it's it it you know it's it hasn't stopped and it and the crowds haven't really dwindled. Um, it's been an ongoing kind of basically urging the country to 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 change, you know, to wake up. Um, and I think that, you know, like you talk about the size of the yeah, crowd, we, we also just so the continue, just the fact that it's been so continuous has been, uh, I think very powerful. We, we went through it with Trayvon. Of course we went through it with Eric Garner. We're going on through it over and over and over and over and over. We're going through it now. Maybe I'm being naive or maybe I'm just being overly hopeful. I don't know what the difference is between the two in this case. This one feels different to me. That this, this time it just feels different. It, it just feels like this time we're all broken. I am, I'm a 46-year-old white guy and I've covered this league for almost 20 years. I've covered sports for almost 30 I will never understand what it's like to be a person of color in this country. I just will never understand it. I, I, I and I, I know that. And, and so you go through, you know, you, you watch and in our cases, you report on, you know, what's going on and what people are saying and what your what athletes and other people that we talk to are feeling. This one to me just feels very, very different. And it's not because it's an election year. It's not because I don't think it's because that it was on camera um, or that there's been, you know, three of these 
incredibly heartbreaking, maddening, frustrating incidents that have happened in relatively short that have gotten the headlines. It, it just, I, I really think that we want change. And when I say we, I mean us, I mean all of us, black, white, whatever. I think we all, this time, it just feels, it feels very powerful to me. And I'm certain that whenever we get to, to whenever we get to Disney, whenever the games start, um, you know, George Floyd, you know, he will have been killed. He will have been gone for two months at that point or a little over two months, I mm-hmm. guess. Don't think for a second that the NBA is going to forget because they're not, this is, they're going to carry the, whether he's on shoes or he's on shirts or something like when LeBron and Chris Paul and the other leaders in this league, Andre UD, they're not going to let people forget this time. It just feels like it just feels that the world is going to change with this one. And it's just such a weird time to the pandemic. Like I, I watch these protests and I'm, I'm petrified, not because of the size of the crowds or because of, you know, some people that are turning these protests into something that 99% of people don't want to see happen. I'm petrified that sometimes you see people not wearing their masks. I'm petrified that people are so close together. I'm, I'm worried about what people might be sacrificing, you know, to take these stands, but you know what? It's important enough to do it. It's important enough to these, it's important. If I, I, a friend of mine had surgery because she got hurt at a protest a couple days ago. Like I, I just keep saying it over and over guys. It just feels different this time. And, and I really hope it is because I don't know. I just don't know how much more of these, how many more of these we can take. And I hope this is it. Yeah. As you mentioned, the NBA will have a captive audience basically. Um, next month once games get started. Um, you know, we've talked about what the TV ratings are going to be potentially, and you know, they're going to have a captive audience watching a game where nine out of every ten players on the court is, is a black person who um, obviously has strong feelings about this, has been affected by stuff like this. Um, and it, I'm, I'm excited to see the way that uh, the NBA is going to take advantage of um, – it's unprecedented platform it has considering the way it has always taken advantage of its platform on these sort of issues. I think we can wrap things up there though. Um, Tim, thanks as always for, uh, for joining us. Um, Hopefully we don't need too many more explainers from you going forward. Um, But uh, we appreciate you coming on. I don't don't know that much. So I hope we don't need too many explainers from me. All right. You can follow Tim on Twitter at, by Tim Reynolds, I think. I think I did, went through the same thing last week where I wasn't positive. Uh, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. You can follow myself at DB Wilson too. Um, be sure to check out the Miami Herald, not only for coverage of all this NBA stuff, but of coronavirus and the uh, protests that are still going on down here in South Florida. I think as we speak right now, there, there are people out demonstrating. So um, thanks again, guys, for uh, coming on, and I'll talk to you next week.